Hello and welcome to edition number 1976 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 31st of August 2023. I'm Bridget Walton and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Gavin Smalley. This week we have items about badgers, cats and rhinoceroses and some about humans too. Our four readers are Debbie Diacon, Stefan Gabsevich, Andrew Lure, and John Ashwell. So let's have our first story from Debbie. It relates to the consequences of COVID on some of our young people. So the headline is Top GCSE Grades Fall as Exam Marking Tougher. The proportion of GCSE entries awarded top grades has fallen from last year but is higher than before the COVID-19 pandemic, national figures show. Hundreds of thousands of teenagers across the country received their GCSE exam results on Thursday in a year when efforts have been made in England to return grading to pre-pandemic levels. Ofqual built protection into the grading process, which should enable a pupil to get the grade they would have received before the pandemic, even if their quality of work is a little weaker this year. It comes after COVID-19 led to an increase in top grades in 2020 and 21, with results based on teacher assessments instead of exams. Last week, the proportion of A-level entries achieving top grades fell with some 73,000 fewer top grades than last year, but it remained above pre-pandemic levels. Girls continued their lead over boys for the top GCSE grades, with 24.9% of entries awarded A or above, compared with 19.1% for boys. But the gap has narrowed from last year. Jeff Barton General Secretary of Association of School and College Leaders said, an enormous amount of hard work has gone into these qualifications in often difficult circumstances, and the young people receiving their results deserve great credit for what they have achieved. Now Stefan tells us about a youngster who has been helped to benefit from her educational opportunities. Yes, this article is is entitled Kelis Manages to Turn Things Around for Tests. A student who dropped out of school in Year 9 has bounced back and has celebrated its GCSE results in Maths and English. Kelis Abraham, 16, from Chipping Norton, has been studying at Banbury and Bicester College this year. Despite dropping out of school in Year 9 and then having a lot to catch up on, the teenager found out that she had achieved grades 6 and 4 in English and Maths, respectively. She told the Oxford Mail, At the start of the year, I was really struggling finding motivation to come in, but then they started running extra classes for letting, to take, and letting us take control. I found it a lot easier. I got quite nervous in classes, but my teachers have always tried to accommodate me with that. My teachers supported me by working around what I have already knew and what I did not, which was really big help. Anne has an item about a well-known establishment in Woodstock. Hotels sold after being on the market for £2.75 million. 
a Georgian townhouse hotel in the heart of an Oxfordshire town has been brought, bought by a local property developer. The Feathers, a Grade 2 listed hotel in Woodstock, was put on the market for a guide price of £2.75 million by Colliers International, a real estate advice company, in July 2020. Over two years later, local property developer Daniel Ede, who has lived in the area previously, has now purchased the hotel after a highly confidential process with plans to continue the hospitality business. Originally a 17th century townhouse on Market Street, the now hotel near Blenheim Palace and Bista Village has 21 rooms. Daniel Ede said, Having lived in Woodstock, I've always regarded the Feathers as a historic and well-recognised part of the town. We're planning to build on the hotel's reputation and over time introduce new technology to help grow the business further while maintaining its original beauty. The Feathers is already well known amongst gin drinkers for its notable collection of the spirit for which it was awarded a Guinness World Record in 2012 for the largest collection of gin with 161 varieties which took judges 45 minutes to count. Drink. Our fourth story concerns a disappointment for Chipping Norton swimmers. It's read by John. It certainly does. Safety rules mean Lido Pool fundraiser is scrapped. A fundraiser for a new slide at an outdoor pool has been withdrawn because of health and safety regulations. There is currently no slide at Chipping Norton Lido after the old one deteriorated when it wasn't being used during the pandemic. Since 2004, the open-air pool has been run by a voluntary committee of trustees and a team of employees, with no public funding other than a small annual grant from the town council. Even under the normal circumstances, they would struggle to raise the estimated £4,000 cost of a new slide. However, the trustees say that due to soaring energy bills, the future of the pool is currently in jeopardy, and top priority is to ensure it survives this crisis. Luke Froud, who has fond memories of playing on the slide as a child, later being a lifeguard at the pool, organised a GoFundMe appeal after he and a group of friends visited the Lido and found the slide out of action. But the appeal has now been withdrawn and arrangements are being made for all donations to be refunded. Chipping Norton Lido published a statement on its website. Updated advice from the Health and Safety Executive makes the safe operation of water slides much more complex and staff intensive than in the past. In short, the new UK standards for slides are so onerous that the majority of suppliers have currently stopped selling domestic and public slides. But it went on to say another factor is the current cost of running the facility. 
To give one example, our gas bill alone so far this season is already twice the cost of last year's. The future of the pool is at stake and we feel that our primary focus should be on keeping the pool open for the benefit of current and future residents. For multiple reasons, therefore, we are not able to reinstate the slide in the short term. The trustees thanked Mr Froud for his initiative and generosity in proposing the slide fundraiser. The response to his social media posts confirmed that customers do still miss the slide and would like to see it restored. The headline is Clarkson's new farm shop car park overflows. So here we go with the Jeremy Clarkson story again. Jeremy Clarkson finally opened a new car park at his diddly squat farm but it soon became jam-packed with two-hour waits. The Clarkson's farm presenter battled with West Oxfordshire District Council for months over the proposed new parking area intended to cope with the crowds flocking to visit his popular shop. The plans were approved in June in a rare planning win for the star. But on Saturday, August 18th, The newly created additional 70 parking spaces proved insufficient to cope with the number of fans and shoppers arriving. Staff were forced to open another field just a five-minute walk away where a further 100 cars could park on grass. Mr Clarkson, who oversaw the construction of the new facility, was not present for the grand opening of the car park. He was on holiday with partner Lisa Hogan. Previously, the council had refused to grant permission for the car park as they claimed it was in an area of outstanding natural beauty. However, without additional parking, customers were forced to park on nearby verges causing traffic chaos and delays. Mr Clarkson appealed the council's decision and was granted permission on June 14th. However, the rejection of his plans for a restaurant was upheld. Clarkson's Farm on Amazon Prime is currently shooting its third series. My, my story is turtled. Parking tickets stressing out traders in the high street. Small, businesses own, small business owners say they are suffering continual stress because of lack of loading bays for deliveries and repeated parking tickets. Debbie Hackett runs the Shape Shop, which is on the section of Whitney High Street that was closed to private vehicles in December 2020 to enable social distancing during the COVID pandemic. She said the nearest loading bay was half a mile away on the current road situation was a bad business. She said Wednesday is our weekly booker's delivery day. It was a small order that was brought in by a transit van. The driver easily found a space outside our shop in the designated disabled spaces. They are never full. There was plenty of of such spaces still free for him. If, it had, if he had delivered from, the, from where it would have been relatively quick and easy to drop off, he was rudely directed to the other side of the road further along to park up by the tra- traffic wardens. This is also restricted parking when it suits. From here, he had to negotiate not only crossing the road, but the steep incline of our shop serving several, t- serving several times probably taking him five times longer than it would have been if he'd started him where he was. It's a continual stress operating our shop, 
with the current road situation, especially now during our busier times. Her sister and co-owner, Kim Cook, has just had an appeal against a parking ticket outside their own shop rejected. Miss Hackett said, We were loading items to transfer to Carterton. The boot was open and a note was put on the windscreen. What more can we do? The nearest designated loading area is by Hopkins. This is a continuation of the previous article. Henry Moe of Sandwich de Whitney said, When they first closed the high street for 18 months, all the short stay and single yellow line parking was made disabled and taxi parking only. Some of the traffic wardens were even advising delivery drivers to park in the middle of the road so they could avoid getting a ticket. After many appeals, we finally got a small bit of single yellow line outside our shop, which is for multiple use. Mr Moe, who has called the high street abandoned and unwelcoming, said, A loading bay is desperately needed and even more helpful to businesses would be to restore some customer parking in the area. The Conservative County Councillor for Hamber and Minster Lovell, Liam Walker, said, It is so disappointing to hear businesses on the high street are still having problems with being able to do the basics like unloading to their shops. We've had years of delay in getting a proper solution to Whitney High Street, with the council sat on nearly £2 million of funding to make improvements. We really should be doing all we can to support local business. The Shake Shop has my full support in finding a workable solution, and I've reached out to highway officers to hopefully get some simple changes made. Whitney Labour Councillor Duncan Enright said, I have intervened before and will do so again. The Shake Shop is a brilliant local business and deserves all the support we can give. He pointed to the public meetings in September to discuss the future of the High Street. Responsibility for enforcement of on-street parking was taken over by Oxfordshire County Council in April 2023. A spokesperson said the parking restrictions are the same as they were before the traffic restriction, other than the introduction of 13 blue badge bays. At these new blue badge bays, loading cannot be undertaken without a blue badge. Away from the blue badge bays, double yellow lines do not restrict loading and unloading for as long as it is reasonably necessary, so delivery drivers should not be getting tickets. An observation period is given to ascertaining if loading unloading is seen to be taking place before a ticket is issued. This uh, piece is headed up work to begin on new Whitney footbridges. Two new wooden footbridges are to be installed over a town brook. The bridges will be installed over Colwell Brook at Deer Park South in Whitney over the next couple of weeks. The council said they will offer a safer route for those wanting to cross Colwell Brook 
and will make this popular space more accessible all year round. The tiny stream on the edge of an industrial estate cuts across an area popular with hikers and dog walkers. It can present a hazard when it is in flood. The new bridges are being funded through the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. In February, West Oxfordshire received £1,000 from the fund, which is part of the government's levelling up agenda, which will be in place for three years. West Oxfordshire Council said, Please note that any uh, that some paths around the site may be temporarily affected while these works are being carried out. Legal action call over new estate. Councillors are urging legal action over an estate which is still unfinished years after the first homeowners moved in. Windrush Place in Whitney, with houses worth up to £550,000, was given planning permission in 2017. But shops, a neighbourhood centre, sports fields, green spaces and road crossings are still incomplete. Meanwhile, the District Council is about to consider an application for more houses on the estate. Resident Roy Gibbons, who was one of the first to move in in June 2018, said he was at his quote-unquote wit's end. He said, We do not even have the most basic community services. Residents have no option but to make round trips of over an hour to supermarkets for the most basic of provisions. My mother also has a house on the estate. She is in her 80s and cannot manage to get on and off a bus, so she is stranded. She has no access to local shops or services and has to rely on us or taxis for her daily needs. The failure to deliver the road crossings and bridleway upgrades is putting the residents at risk of accidents and injuries. The roads around the estate are busy and dangerous, especially for children and elderly people. In March, Whitney MP Robert Courts told the developers Persimmon, Bloor and Bovis to get Windrush Place built. Local Conservative councillors Thomas Ashby and Jane Doughty have publicly complained the developers have failed to honour their commitments for months. Now they are urging West Oxfordshire District Council to take the consortium to court. Councillor Ashby said, The plans for the shops were submitted alongside plans for the sports pavilion months ago, and they still haven't gone to any planning committee. The shops should have been built years ago. Roads are still incomplete, and plans for the sports pavilion aren't adequate, which is why the council will not approve them. I have urged the district council to use the enforcement powers they have. Councillor Doughty added, Residents are council taxpayers. Therefore, the council should be doing all it can to ensure that the shops and sports pavilion are built as soon as possible. In a statement, West Oxfordshire District Council said, Delays in delivering some parts of Windrush Place have been caused by a variety of factors. Adding, Taking legal action at this stage would not be in the best interest of residents as it could delay progress. However, 
It is an option we will keep under review. A spokesman for the consortium said it had already delivered a new primary school, play area, open spaces, playing pitches, bridleways and crossings. It said it will continue to work closely with residents and stakeholders to deliver on its commitments. Right, my article is by Robert Kortz's Westminster Views. This is his newsletter. And it's entitled, Lack of Action on Infrastructure is Troubling. It has been a very busy summer recess out and about in West Oxfordshire. Earlier this month, I had my annual local business week, visiting some of West Oxfordshire's local businesses and rolling my sleeves up to help them out, actually doing the job at the coffee shed, PD Hooks, Cogs Farms and the Flying Press, amongst others. In the process, learning far more about local employers across our area's key industries. On top of this, I have been continuing my campaign to help the residents of Windrush Place. It is, it is not right that the infrastructure that was promised in the Section 106 agreement with West Oxford District Council has not been delivered yet. Alongside local councillors and residents of Windrush Place, I remain incredibly troubled by the developers' lack of action over this. I am acutely aware of the frustration this continues to cause to residents. I have therefore been continuing my campaign alongside councillor Thomas Ashby to address this, and in part of my latest action, I have written to both WODC and the developer Persimmon to press for action, starting with constructing these amenities for the benefit of residents. Looking at a separate campaign, you will, I, you will, I am sure, have heard a great deal about proposals for the Botley West Solar Farm, which, which would, if approved, impact significantly upon Tackley, Wootton, Climpton, Bladen, Woodstock, Longhambra, Churchhambra, Rousham, Ensham and Cassington. Having looked at the plans in detail, I have now concerns about the size and scale of the proposals, which appear to represent a disproportionate threat to agricultural land in West Oxfordshire. Whilst increased use of renewable energy is something we all support, the construction of solar farms and fertile farmland would not be at first resort. High-quality farmland must be sufficiently protected, especially at a time where food securities must be maintained. <clears throat> that is why I am opposing the current plan to build a Topley West, Botley West solar farm. At the latest part of my joint campaign against the proposal, I want to present a constituent's petition to Parliament to show a strength of feeling on this issue. This matters because in this government they will be deciding on the proposal and so clear demonstration of feeling at this stage is essential. <coughs> I would urge you to sign this petition through the webpage below and to share as wide a view as you, so that you can send a clear message to West Oxfordshire residents. www.robertcourts.co.uk slash Botley Solar Farm Petition this article is headed Chicken Punch Cruelty will not be tolerated Police say animal cruelty will not be tolerated after a teenager was fined for punching a chicken 
Jordan Wilman, 18, pleaded guilty at Oxford Magistrates Court recently to causing unnecessary suffering to the bird and was fined £200. He was ordered to pay further sums in costs and surcharge. He had been filmed on a mobile phone in February striking the bird in the head at Carterton Community College. Thames Valley Police's PC Alistair Uren said, I am pleased that this case was taken seriously by the courts. This case shows that we will not tolerate animal cruelty in all its forms and I will encourage anyone who witnesses this to contact us by calling 101 or via our website. Plane removed as police leave the scene of a tragedy. The plane involved in a fatal crash has been removed from the scene as an investigation into the incident continues. Trevor Bailey, 68, was the only occupant of the replica Spitfire when it crashed into a field near the A44 in Enstone at around 3pm on August 22nd. Thames Valley Police, other emergency services and the Air Accident Investigation Branch, AAIB, were called to the scene closing Chew Road in the process. Superintendent Jan Hogburn, local policing area commander for Churwell and West Oxfordshire, said, I would like to thank residents and motorists for their patience and cooperation while we investigated, and I apologise for any inconvenience caused. Our investigation into the circumstances of the crash continue, and we are still liaising with His Majesty's Coroner and the AAIB as they conduct their independent safety regulations. Lastly, I would also again ask anyone with information, footage or photographs around the incident who have not yet come forward to please contact us. People can either go online or call 101, quoting reference 1358, and the crash date. The headline is uh, following on from John's story, tributes to pilot who died in the crash of the replica Spitfire. A pilot killed in a plane crash in West Oxfordshire last week has been named as tributes pour in for the Spitfire enthusiast. Mr Bailey, 68, from Cheltenham, was one of the first to sign up to own a share of one of the replica Spitfires in 2018 after enthusiasts launched a mission to build the first modern version of the World War II plane. The Spitfire Club, based at Enstone Airfield, constructed three models of the iconic aircraft at the time and is now in the process of building 15 Spitfires. Mr Bailey's widow, Kate Dove, said he, quote, lost his life following his passion. In a tribute posted online, she said, it is with the heaviest heart I need to let you all know that Trev is no longer with us. He was the best husband, father, grandfather, brother, brother-in-law, uncle, and loved by so many wonderful friends the world over. He lost his life following his passion. We are all devastated. Enstone Flying Club skipper Paul Fowler described Mr Bailey as a great pilot and friend. 
He said Trevor was always enthusiastic about the Spitfire project. When signing up to the club, Mr Bailey admitted to feeling nervous before taking off, but believed that was a good thing. In 2018, Mr Bailey said, They are great fun to fly, but can be a challenge. There's a lot going on, and it's not very comfortable. I think most pilots are wannabe Spitfire pilots, but will never get the chance. My cutting is entitled Teenager's Death Under Investigation. The cause of Whitney Teenager's death remains under investigation, a coroner's court heard. Charlie Daniels, 16, found unresponsive at a flat in the high street on August 10th. A paramedic verified his death at 6.39am. Papers prepared for the opening of, his, of the inquest on Wednesday, August 23rd, stated that a post-mortem examination had been carried out. The cause of the teenager's death remained under investigation. The teenager was a college student who lived at Mary Box Crescent, Whitney. A full inquest will be held at Oxford Coroner's Court on February the 8th next year. This article is, has the title New Memorial Garden to Help Grieving Parents. A garden which is a sanctuary for families who have lost their babies has opened at the John Ratcliffe Hospital with the help of funds raised by a bereaved couple. Jude Williams and her partner Mark Murphy from Chipping Norton were devastated when their one-day-old baby, Jacob, passed away in May 2021. They said they will never forget how important the bereavement suites at the JR's Women's Centre were to them so they could say goodbye to their little boy in privacy and without any rush. Since then, they have been determined to remember their son and raise funds to help other families facing similar grief. The couple, friends and family, calling themselves the J-Team in Jacob's memory, took on a number of challenges such as tough muddies and have raised over £30,000 so far. Their fundraising has helped to create the Butterfly Suite Garden, turning a previously uninspired outside space into a beautiful environment brimming with colour. Butterflies are often the symbol of baby loss. Families who visit the area will be given a box with a small metal butterfly to take home with them. The following deaths are announced in this week's Whitney Gazette. On the 13th of August, Stephanie Julian, known as Steph, aged 65. On the 19th of August, June Millard, nay Holly, of Stonesfield, aged 80. And on the 23rd of August, Frederick Ernest Nash, aged 87. We offer our condolences to family and friends. So I've got the answers to last week's quiz. Um, Now, so... Uh, Last week, 24th of August, was apparently National Dan Day. And you were asked if you could identify the following Daniels. So question number one. He directed the Academy Award-winning film Slumdog Millionaire in 2008 
and won an Academy Award as Best Director for his efforts. Answer, does anyone know? Danny Boyle. Question number two. One of England's great thespians, this actor spent a year preparing for the role of Abraham Lincoln. He won a Best Actor Oscar in 2013 for his portrayal of Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. Number three. This American author wrote the hugely successful novels The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, both of which were made into movies. Anyone? <laughs> Dan Brown. Brown. <laughs> Number four. Who was the 18th century frontiersman and explorer who became an American folk hero? Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone. Yeah, yeah. And question number five, he stands less than five feet tall, but this actor is multi-talented. He starred in the TV comedy series Taxi as Louis De Palma. Danny DeVito. That's the end of the answers for last week's quiz. Well, there isn't very much to go on the notice board this time, but the one item that is going on it is a very splendid one. Mr. Young, Mr. Ted Young, we congratulate you on reaching, meet, on reaching your 100th birthday. I think you will receive your memory stick after your birthday, but we do hope that on the 1st of September, when you reach the magnificent age of 100, you had a wonderful, wonderful time. Now, the only other thing for me to say is remember that there will be the listings for broadcasts coming on after we have finished our recording. Tonight, we're very pleased to welcome Penny Fowler, a Methodist lay preacher who has come to give us our reflection. Hello. Who do you think you are? No, I'm not trying to be rude, but this is, of course, the name of a television programme where a well-known person, or perhaps more if brothers and sisters are included, set out on a journey to find out more about their ancestors, great-grandparents or going much further back. Perhaps there are incomplete family stories about certain relatives, and they want to know more. Is the famous person descended from royalty, or pirates, or who? The good and the not-so-good? It's certainly the case for me, and I sometimes wonder, what was her life really like? Anyway, I'm never going to be on television. One famous actor discovered that he was descended from a king who ruled in this country several hundred years ago, back in the 12th century. For some, it really is a journey in more than one sense. There have been visits to Australia or South Africa, for example. What will they find out? There are history experts, of course, to help. But what will they find out? Will it all be good news, bad news, or are there villains in the story? All fascinating stuff. One young man, not famous or well-known except to his family and friends, decided to find out his story. He was born in Bristol and adopted as a small baby. 
He had no idea about his biological family, and his was a happy childhood with the adoptive family and his brother. All he knew was that he probably had a South Asian background. But the opportunity came for him to take a three-week trip to India. He had a good time, but he really found out nothing, and the locals told him they really didn't think he was from India after all. In the end, he says, it was never a genuine soul-searching exercise, as I have such a loving family. I realise that my heritage doesn't matter. It's the people around me who have defined me as a person, not the colour of my skin. Who cares if my skin is slightly darker than my family's? I love a verse in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament in the Bible. Isaiah relates these words. God says, Don't be afraid. I have redeemed you, called you by your name. You are mine. Called you by your name. Now that is really special. The words were originally addressed to the ancient people of Israel. But they are words we can take for ourselves. God calls each of us by our name, each one of us and loves us as a special child. Jesus uses a rather amusing illustration and puts it this way. Every hair on your head is numbered. We see in the life of Jesus that God cares for the vulnerable, the suffering, as well as the successful and powerful. Although there are strong words for those who use power and wealth and success in the wrong way. Who do you think you are? In the eyes of God, that is who you are, God's child. Thank you very much, Penny. You've given us plenty to think about. I have adapted my contribution from The Secret Life of Trees, How They Live and Why They Matter, by Colin Tudge. There doesn't seem to be an audio version of the book, though other books by Colin Tudge have been recorded. Wangari Matai, who lived from 1940 till 2011, was an academic and social, political and environmental activist in Kenya who saw the quality of life of rural women in her country deteriorating as their environment became depleted. They lacked fuel, food, building material for shelter and income. To improve their conditions, she founded the Green Belt Movement, which, among other things, arranged for them to receive tree seeds and seedlings. Between 1977 and 2004, when the book was published, over 30 million trees were planted. The women can look after them independently and do not rely on outside agencies, which is good for morale. Once the trees are mature enough, they supply much that is needed, and it is with particular satisfaction that they make enough profit to pay for their children's education. A secondary but valuable benefit is the shade the trees provide. The journey to fetch water and provisions was exhausting in the glare and heat. 
Now it is cooler under the trees, but is pleasant to stop and talk, thus strengthening the community spirit. In 2004, Professor Wangari Matai received a Nobel Prize, the first African woman to be honoured in that way. Starting the Green Belt Movement, which continues its work for women today, was practical and empowering, and the Nobel Peace Prize was well-deserved. We all appreciate the vital importance of trees and their products in our lives, but some wooden objects come to give pleasure and are dear to us. Three of our readers have kindly agreed to tell us about something they treasure. So I'd like to talk about my wooden chopping board. I'm very protective of it. It's quite a large, single piece of wood. It's probably about, in old money, about an inch thick and about two and a half feet by one and a half feet big. So it's quite large. I'm very protective in that I never let meat or fish of any type go near this board. So we use it, or I use it only for fruit and vegetables and bread. I believe that wood has antibacterial qualities and I occasionally clean it with lemon juice or vinegar. It has had a bit of a battering. It's got a bit of a burn on the underside where I inadvertently put it on a flame that I hadn't yet turned off on the hob. And it's got a bit of a burn mark on the top from a very hot dish, but it continues to serve me faithfully. And I absolutely love it. Right. Well, I have a piece of wood in my hands now, which I, I think I must have been about 10 or 12 when I first received it. It, and I don't even know where it came from, this is the f- funny part. It's a wooden ruler, it's a 12-inch long, and I've had it with me, so say, for years and years and years, and stamped on it is Native Timbers of New Zealand. Now, where that came from, I do not know. But below that is 20 different types of wood named, and little slithers of them mo- um, stuck into the wood itself, into the ruler. So... I've had this around, as I've just said, for so long, and I've used it at school, I've used it at home, and when I was asked very recently about bringing something to tell you about, this came to mind, because it's been with me for so very long, and so all I can say is, long may wood last. The article I'm going to talk about is a wooden chicken, the same size as a real chicken, This was bought for me by my two sons, Stephen and Andrew, 50 years ago in an African market. We lived in West Africa for 10 years, and this is one thing that I always have and always polish. It has a lid at the top, and you are supposed to put eggs in in the top and then put the lid on. I just use it, really, um, to look at at the top of my stairs, and I couldn't tell you what kind of wood it is, but it always looks really, really shiny, because I dust it, and because it reminds me of those days when my children were enjoying the African sunshine. Thank you very much, Debbie, John and G. Anne. 
One of the few things specified in my will is known in the family as the milk churn truck. It is left to my first great-grandchild, assuming there will be one. It is a pull-along wooden box on wheels, which contains 24 13 centimeter high churn-shaped pieces. It comes apart as the wheels are held on axles by pegs. Yes, regrettably, when dismantled, the axles do make weapons, and the hammer for the pegs has often had to be hidden, but there are other ways to play with the truck. The churns double as skittles. The empty truck accommodates teddies. And if there are tame adults about, it can be filled with the churns and deliveries made. Adults are sometimes provoking and expect to have a specific number of churns counted out. Even more provokingly, they have been known to want the contents to be identified and writing labels for whole, semi-skimmed, and skimmed milk, let alone orange juice and yoghurt, demands advanced spelling ability. My parents gave the truck to my four children over 50 years ago. I think it came from Clanfield and was made by a firm called Crowthers. I can't find any history of them, but perhaps some listeners remember them. We would love to hear from listeners who have a favourite wooden item, Do put a note in your pouch telling us about it or send your phone number and we can contact you to get a description. I have this week's quiz questions. They've all got a connection to wood. Question one. The leaf of which tree is shown on the Canadian flag? Two. In what kind of tree is the man who will become Charles II said to have hidden after losing the Battle of Worcester? Where was it? 3. What wood did Grindling Gibbons favour for his carvings? What vegetable item is considered to be his signature? What insect was responsible for spreading Dutch elm disease? What kind of organism caused the disease? Sorry, that was question 4. 5. Which book of the Old Testament contains the story of Absalom being caught in a terebinth tree and dying? Whose son was he? That's it. Please, and you will miss this week's sport. You also need to speak sport to understand it. And the title below that says, Boy Done Good. Bad grammar. William Manning says it would take something extremely big for Oxford United, United to consider cashing in on the young star Tyler Goodrum. The 20-year-old winger scored both goals as the US made it four wins from four with a 2-1 victory at home to Charlton Athletic. Thanks to Goodrum's brace, United moves two points clear at the top of Sky Bet League One. Asked whether he was potentially worried about Goodrum being snapped up due to his current form, Manning responded, it's not one I'd thought on, to be honest. It would take something extremely big for us to even entertain anything. And now a puzzle. What sport is being referred to? Oxford Cheaters returned to the top of the championship 
after beating bottom side Plymouth Gladiators 59-31 at Sandy Lane. Oxford Chargers had their top-of-the-table National League clash at Leicester Lion Cubs abandoned after five races due to a rain shower. Leicester led 17-13 while there was a delay after Lion Cubs' Max James went wide and crashed into the air fence. While he was being treated by medics, a shower hit the track and both teams agreed to abandon the meeting. Your conscientious editor has found out that the cheaters and the chargers are speedway teams that race around a track on cycles without brakes and with engines. Please don't shout, I knew that, so loudly that she hears. And now two short items. First one, stolen tools seized at pub and returned to the owners. A range of stolen tools were recovered from an Oxfordshire pub and returned to their owners. Police officers in Whitney were made aware of the White Hart pub uh, um, about the tools that were taken from vehicles locally. The tools were seized and were identified by names, initials and company names on the items. A Thames Valley police spokesman said, We are aware of a spike of theft from vehicle incidents in the area. Please secure any vehicles as much as possible and mark any expensive equipment you have with identifiable information. And the second short item is headed, Hay Bale Fire Near School. A large fire broke out overnight in hay bales on a farm off New Yacht Road in Whitney. The blaze broke out at 1.45am on Monday the 28th of August near the Independent King's School. Firefighters from Whitney and Wheatley Fire Stations remained on the scene the following morning, Tuesday April the 29th, to bring the fire under control. This article is entitled Twin Town Airport to be renamed after the late Queen. An airport in Whitney's French Twin Town will be renamed in honour of Queen Elizabeth II after being given permission from the King. The Touquet Paris Plage Airport is set to be known as the Elizabeth II Le Touquet Paris Plage International Airport. The airport was designed in the 1930s and is about an hour's drive from Calais. A date for the inauguration has not been set. Mayor of Whitney, Councillor Owen Collins, said, We are deeply touched and grateful by this gesture from the town of Le Touquet, acknowledging Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The people of France took the Queen to their hearts during her lifetime, and as well as providing a lasting memorial to her relationship to the country, this renaming will also further strengthen the bond between Le Touquet and Whitney, which has stood for over 40 years and which we hope will share in the Queen's longevity. Whitney has been twinned with Le Touquet Paris Plage, which means Paris by the sea, since 1980, and over this time we have shared a number of civic and cultural events. 
In Whitney, a part of the Woolgate Centre is named Le Touquet Square. I have two short stories. One's entitled Park Skateboard Lessons. A skateboard coach will be giving free coaching at Ensham Skate Park. Mario Santos has been given permission by Ensham Parish Council to teach after confirming it will be not impact others' safety and enjoyment when using the space. Mr Santos of Bampton has been offering one-to-one lessons around West Oxfordshire, but due to the popularity, decided to offer group lessons. He said, it's great to see a skateboard being used. It means less antisocial behaviour by keeping the young ones busy. Second story is entitled, Happy Ending for Kittens Found Abandoned in Box. Newborn kittens found abandoned in a cardboard box on an industrial estate are nearly ready to go off to new home. Two kittens had a bit of rough start after they were found in Bromag Industrial Estate in Whitney when their mother disappeared. The RSPCA has been able to rescue them and take them to Com- Cornyard Nurse Veterinary Centre for treatment. After they were given a clean bill of health, the charity was able to find space for the foster kit with a foster carer. Named Rufus and Bertie, the RSPCA said they will have their first vaccination at nine weeks old and then be ready to go to their new home. They will go together to be a new home to their new home as it is much better for them to be together, said the animal charity. You may remember a story in the Whitney Talking News a few weeks ago about a woman in a badger costume protesting about badger culling. Well, it seems she had a chance to meet lots of other badger protectors. I have been asked to describe this photograph. There are 15 presumably human beings and not artificial intelligence dressed as badgers with a notice which says badger is sad they're all different sizes and out in the green grass with trees around them the badger group was holding its AGM members of the Oxfordshire Badger Group OBG ended their annual general meeting by testing each other's knowledge of the countryside creatures The group, a registered charity that works to celebrate and protect badgers, approved the year's financial and annual reports. Group coordinator Linda Ward stood down by rotation and was re-elected. Talks were also given by Nigel Fisher, a conservator of Wyndham Woods, and Tom Langton, an ecologist who campaigns to end badger culling. The meeting ended with a badger quiz which tested knowledge of badgers, set surveying and badgers in literature and film. A group spokesperson said, Great to meet and see so many members and also to have people from Somerset, Gloucester and Books Badger Groups join to join us. A fun and informative afternoon. Continuing with an animal theme... I have an article headed Two Rhino Calves at Wildlife Park. Cotswold Wildlife Park has celebrated Rhino Month 
with the birth of two white rhinos in just one week. Two weeks ago, white rhino Ruby gave birth to a male calf in a milestone for both the European breeding program and for rhino conservation. Less than one week later, white rhino Nancy gave birth to a female calf. Although females usually give birth during the night, keepers were at the park when Ruby went into labour and managed to film the birth which happened at around 5pm on Saturday, August 12th. Dad Monty and Mum Ruby are both 17 years old. The new male has been named Henry after the name was auctioned off to raise money for rhino conservation. But coincidentally, it is also the name of head keeper Mark Godwin's son. A female calf is already named after his daughter Molly. Managing Director of Cotswold Wildlife Park Reggie Hayworth said, It is so exciting to welcome a white rhino calf into the world. That makes it 11 calves born here at the wildlife park in the last 11 years. What joy they have brought to us all. They are just the most charismatic and lovely animals and visitors and staff alike are absolutely entranced by them. Henry had a famous first visitor, comedian and friend of the park, Ruby Wax. Muz Wax named the rhino Mum Ruby when she arrived from South Africa in 2009, just ahead of the Wildlife Park's Ruby anniversary in March 2010. White rhino were once the rarest rhino species and were on the verge of extinction when it was believed only 20 to 30 animals remained in their native African homeland. Thanks to sustained protection, they are now the most common of the five rhino species. However, the black, Javan and Sumatran species are critically endangered, and the Sumatran rhino is now presumed extinct in the wilds of Malaysia, according to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Well, that's all we have time for. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. And especially leave one if it's going to be about a wooden object you love. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we have used. Thanks also to our technical expert, Gavin Smalley, and our copiers, Debbie and John, who are copying the memory sticks. And to our admin team, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping records of this in our register. And they were Penny Brading and Nigel James. And finally, thanks to our four readers, Debbie, Stefan, Anne and John. I know everyone would like to say goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye. 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 TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. 
Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, September 2nd. The Birdcage is a radio drama from 1984 by Rose Tremaine in which a suburban nurse looks after a terminally ill great musician. Radio 4 Extra at 11am or 5pm. Mahabharata Now is an adaptation of the ancient Indian poem dramatised as a family epic set in 21st century Mumbai. The boss of a vast conglomerate decides to publish a will after signs of ill health, but his choices plunge his family into chaos. The first of two parts is on Saturday, Radio 4, 3pm. In music's Inner Vision, singer Victoria Oruwaru, who is blind, talks about blind or partially sighted performers through the ages, including Louis Braille, who invented a system of musical notation just as groundbreaking as his code for reading and writing. Radio 3 for this on Saturday, 6.30 in the evening. And the last week of The Proms begins with a dramatic and musical exploration and then a performance of Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, 7.30, Radio 3, Saturday evening. Sunday, September 3rd, and this week's edition of The Reunion brings together the team behind the 1980s satirical puppet show Spitting Image and revisits the story of a show which very nearly didn't happen. Radio 4, 11.15, Sunday morning. The Drop is a thriller from 2020 by Mike Heron about a retired spy read by John Herriman. Radio 4 Extra at 11.30 in the morning or repeated at 5.30pm. The drama on Sunday is Milady, an original story by Lucy Catherine for the Three Musketeers' arch-enemy Milady de Winter, charting her rise from a spirited provincial teenager to becoming a deadly political operative in 17th century Paris and London. It's on Radio 4 on Sunday afternoon at 3. While the Proms presents Berlioz Le Trojans, a five-act grand opera retelling the story of the fall of Troy and the doomed love of Dido and Ennius. It begins at 4 o'clock on Radio 3. On to programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, Monday to Friday. So same time, same radio station, every day of the week, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week... Invitation to a Banquet, the story of Chinese food. Fuchsia Dunlop reads from her own book reflecting on the earliest truly global cuisine. Radio 4, Monday to Friday, 9.45 in the morning. Ian Carmichael stars as Lord Peter Whimsey in Dorothy L. Sayers' 1930 mystery, Strong Poison. Radio 4 Extra, 11am or 4pm each day. What Maisie Knew is a dramatisation of Henry James's 1897 novel about the complications of love and marriage as seen through the eyes of a child. Radio 4 Extra for this one all week at 12.15 lunchtime or 5.15 in the evening. Composer of the week is George Frederick Handel on Radio 3 at 12 noon all week. Over the last 100 years we've seen global life expectancy double. Could it happen again? Technology reporter and psychologist Alex Kutoski explores the frontiers of extreme longevity in The Immortals, a new series on Radio 4 at 1.45 all week. As part of the series, the essay Five Kinds of Beethoven explores the composer in a contemporary and personal context. This one's on Radio 3 at 10.45 each night, Monday to Thursday. While well, back to Monday to Friday for the rest of the week, Book at Bedtime 
The Exhibitionist by Charlotte Mendelssohn follows the lives of a dysfunctional middle-class family living in London in the early 2010s. Tracy Ann Oberman is the reader on Radio 4 at 10.45 each night. On to individual programmes then for the rest of the week, starting with Monday, September 4th. Lewis and Tolkien, The Lost Road, marks the 50th anniversary of Tolkien's death with an account from 2013 of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien's long friendship. Radio 4 Extra, 10am, or repeated at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. The Nationwide General Knowledge Contest, Brain of Britain, is into its fourth heat, Radio 4, at 3. Well, this week's episode of History Secret Heroes is Ghost Army, in which Helena Bonham Carter shares the story of Bernie Blunstein, Seymour Nussbaum and George Dramas, who were all part of the secret army unit in the Second World War that put on a show for an audience who wanted to kill them. Radio 4, 4pm. 4 While Wally, the reluctant nuclear hero, tells the story of this physicist who prevented nuclear disaster during the Vietnam War. Radio 4, Monday evening, 8pm. Tuesday, September 5th. The Hard Buy is a thriller from 1968 in which a British playboy has to uncover why he's being discredited and framed. Aboard his luxury yacht, he embarks on a dramatic journey to clear his name. It's on Radio 4 Extra at 6.30 in the morning, or if you prefer, 11.30 or 4.30, and it actually carries on for the rest of the week too. Justin Welby's guest on Tuesday in the Archbishop interviews is Afghan human rights campaigner Zarifa Kafari, Radio 4, 11am. And Veronica is a dramatisation of H.G. Wells' 1909 novel about a woman who rebels against her family and society. It's narrated by Bill Nighy as H.G. Wells. Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock. In a thorough examination, live at Hay, twin doctors Chris and Zan Van Tuchlen reflect on the way their lives have changed since they started recording their podcast, including Zan's almost three-stone weight loss and Chris's book about ultra-processed food. Radio 4 for this on Tuesday afternoon at 3.30. In the series Great Lives, Matthew Paris talks to choreographer David Bintley about Dame Ninette de Voilly on Radio 4 at 4.30. The Crooked House has a report on the recent destruction by fire of a much-loved black country landmark and one of the oldest pubs in England. Radio 4, 8pm on Tuesday. Well, as usual, Peter White presents In Touch, news and features for people who are blind and partially sighted. Radio 4, Tuesday evening, 840 Wednesday, September 6th, in the series Life Support, two paramedics whose collective careers have spanned multiple decades swap notes on the realities of working in healthcare then and now. Radio 4, 9.30, Wednesday morning. In Lexi Sales, Strangers on a Train, the presenter travels from Cardiff to Portsmouth, meeting a man who looks after tunnels for a living, a woman who speaks Russian and Ukrainian and has been trained to drive a tank, and a technician from the National Oceanography Centre. Radio 4, 11.30am. The drama on Wednesday is the test batter Cans Breathe by James Fritz. During a test match between England and Australia, one of England's most talented batsmen disappears on Radio 4 at 2.15. Also on Wednesday afternoon, Coral Evensong comes from the Chapel of Rugby School on Radio 3 at 4 well, Tolkien, The Lost Recordings, features clips from a 1968 interview with the Lord of the Rings author J.R. Tolkien, Radio 4 Extra, 8pm.
Thursday, September 7th, in the last of the series Inside Pages, journalist Ian Wiley visits Tavistock in Devon, a thriving town with a strong community spirit, but few opportunities for younger people. Radio 4, 9.30 in the morning. Me, Cheetah, My Life in Hollywood is a dramatisation featuring John Malkovich as Cheetah the Chimp, who between the 30s and 60s featured in Hollywood Tarzan Adventures, starring Johnny Weissmuller. Radio 4 Extra at 10am or at 3pm in the afternoon. Today's edition of Crossing Continents looks at the tragic sinking in June of the Adriana, a heavily overcrowded fishing trawler carrying around 750 migrants, in which more than 600 people died. Nick Beek travels to a refugee camp outside Athens to hear the survivors' stories of brutal people smugglers, the terrible journey and the sinking. It's on Radio 4 at 11am on Thursday morning. While in the series Open Country, Field Notes from Eternity explores the rich folklore and natural history of St Melligan Church in Powys on Radio 4 at 3pm. Friday, September 8th, The Steam Excursion is one of Charles Dickens' sketches by Boz, which can be heard on Radio 4 Extra at 8.30am or at 1.30 lunchtime or 6.30 in the evening. In Moonbeam and Mrs Pat, Imelda Staunton plays celebrated actor Mrs Patrick Campbell, who had one constant companion, her little dog Moonbeam. Radio 4 Extra for this one at 10am or 3 in the afternoon. This week's offering in the series Short Works is Still Life with Fruit, a new short story by the awarding-winning writer John McGregor and read by Penelope Wilton. A delicate portrait of life unfolds on Radio 4 at 3.45. The News Quiz returns for a new series on Radio 4 on Friday evening at 6.30. And as the curtain falls in a 2016 programme, looking back on 25 years of New York's influential signature theatre company, you can hear all about it on Radio 4 Extra at 8pm. That's it. Thank you to Wendy for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Hello, this is Lizzie from Otley Talking News, with Val's selection of audio described TV programmes, starting Saturday the 2nd of September to Friday the 8th of September 2023. So... Let's see what's on offer this week. We start with Saturday the 2nd of September. The Great Foo Guys are cooking a spiced roast root vegetable curry and japatis at 11.30am on BBC One. Nuts are featured in Ainsley's Good Mood Food at 12.35pm on ITV One. The afternoon film is a comedy adventure. When the crown jewels are stolen, bumbling secret agent Johnny English is assigned to retrieve them and catch the culprits. Johnny English is on ITV1 at 4.50pm. There's a triple bill of Midsummer murders today, starting with the incident at Cooper Hill at 5pm on ITV3 when a forest ranger suffers an odd death. On California's Pacific coast, Matt has a close encounter with thousands of elephant seals being tracked by scientists. Matt Baker's Travels in the Country USA is at 6.50pm on Channel 4. Max remains in denial 
while Teddy seeks advice from Genthin in the first half of tonight's double bill of casualty, starting at 8.30pm on BBC One. There's another chance to listen to Michael Parkinson's interview from 1974 with Dr. Jacob Brunowski, the presenter and writer of the 1973 documentary series The Ascent of Man. Parkinson, the Dr. Jacob Brunowski interview, is at 10.25pm on BBC Four. Moving on to Sunday the 3rd of September. We start today with interviews with key politicians and public figures in Sunday with Laura Koonsberg at 9am on BBC One. Today's comedy film is Oscar Wilde's The Important of Being Earnest on BBC Two at 12.30pm. Monica Galetti and Rob Rinder travel to the highlands of central Sri Lanka in Amazing Hotels, Life Beyond the Lobby, at 8pm on BBC Two. Hope finds unexpected information about Clements's daughter, which might hold the answer to the fate of Lorna's own child. The Woman in the Wall is at 9pm on BBC One. In my opinion, a very welcome return of Bob and Paul, in a new six-part series of Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing at 9pm on BBC Two, described in the Radio Times as more a meditation on life and male friendship than fishing. With food becoming increasingly scarce as the Canadian winter closes in, one contestant builds a makeshift mousetrap in the reality programme Alone on Channel 4, at 9pm. Now for those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15 and Bargain Hunt is at 12.15, Monday to Friday. Doctors is at 1.45 and Escape to the Country is at 3pm, Monday to Thursday. All these programmes are on BBC One. There's a new series on ITV1. James Martin's Spanish Adventure starts at 12.15pm on Monday and then is at 2pm Tuesday to Friday. On BBC4, Great Coastal Railway Journeys is at 7pm Monday, Wednesday and Thursday, but at 8pm on Tuesday. Heartbeat is on ITV3 at 5.55pm and 6.55pm, Monday to Friday. Let's have a look at Monday the 4th of September. It's quiz time tonight, starting with Mastermind at 7.30pm and University Challenge at 8.30pm, both on BBC Two. After emotive speeches from the prosecution and defence, the jury retires. What will their verdict be? Find out in part two of Murder Trial. The disappearance of Renee and Andrew McRae on BBC Two at 9pm.
RAF Lothimel's new surveillance team is called upon when a Russian warship is detected close to vital UK pipelines. In tonight's episode of Top Guns, inside the RAF, at 9pm on Channel 4. In 1941, the Nazi invasion of Ukraine, then part of the Soviet Union, resulted in some of the most horrific acts of genocide of the Second World War. Holocaust survivors, along with historians, discussed the events that led to little-known war crimes trials in the Soviet Union. Ukraine, Holocaust Ground Zero, is on Channel 4 at 10pm. On to Tuesday the 5th of September. Finals week begins, with the Cooks facing their most daunting challenge yet, as they travel to East Sussex to cook a very special meal in a unique kitchen. Celebrity MasterChef is on BBC One at 8pm. Meanwhile, over on Channel 4 at 8pm, the remaining teams are welcomed to a 1920s-themed grand final in Bake Off the Professionals. Rob continues to charm Cheryl, and as she begins to fall for him, he cleverly aligns himself with her charitable trust after he realises she is the only person that can access the bank account. The drama, the following events are based on a pack of lies, continues on BBC One at 9pm. With a place in the final at stake, it's an adrenaline overload as the planners compete to transform an old cinema into a 1950s Los Angeles beach club for a bride and groom who desire a Hollywood-style wedding. Ultimate Wedding Planner is on BBC Two at 9pm. The hopefuls are given another chance to prove themselves by conducting a tour of a £17 million mansion in Hampstead, owned by celebrity Boy George. Find out which trainee will get fired in Selling Super Houses at 9pm on Channel 4. Now for Wednesday, the 6th of September. A vintage ceramic nightlight, a skateboard and a treasured teddy bear are hoping for some TLC from the experts at the repair shop at 8pm on BBC One. A new series starts tonight of the documentary programme following NHS staff in hospitals around Newcastle where world-class medics and dedicated support teams work around the clock. Geordie Hospital is at 8pm on Channel 4. Chef's Table is the next challenge for the contestants in Celebrity MasterChef at 9pm on BBC One. Mel Gedroich and Martin Clues embark on a literary tour of Dorset to witness the spectacular scenery and locations made famous by some of Britain's favourite books and films. Mel Gedroich and Martin Clues explore Britain by the book 
is at 9pm on ITV1. Lee is left reeling after the discovery of a corrupt officer on her team and Seawing descends into chaos when an accident in the prison workshop leads to the inmates going on strike. The prison drama Screw is on Channel 4 at 9pm and continues tomorrow at the same time. Thursday the 7th of September. Stacy Solomon and her team return to help more people tidy up their homes in a new series of Sort Your Life Out with Stacy Solomon at 8pm on BBC One. Dr Hannah Fry visits eBay's Authentication Centre where they're waging a war against the sale of fake high-value trainers in The Secret Genius of Modern Life on BBC Two at 7pm. Tom sees how free businesses cope with sharp peaks and troughs in revenue due to fluctuating seasonal demand in tonight's episode of The Hidden World of Hospitality with Tom Kerridge at 8pm on BBC Two. Paul returns to Battersea Dogs Home, where he meets three dogs with problems that need sorting before they can be rehomed. Paul O'Grady, for the love of dogs, is on ITV1 at 8.30pm. The investigators re-examine a death from 2001 after the pathologist on the original inquiry is suspended for negligence in this episode of New Tricks at 10pm on the Drama Channel. Finally, we come to Friday the 8th of September. The Rugby World Cup kicks off in Paris tonight with the opening match between France and New Zealand. Coverage starts on ITV1 at 6.45pm, kickoff at 8.15pm. Although not audio described, you should get an idea of the action from the commentary. The three finalists have two hours to cook and present a faultless three-course meal, but only one can be crowned champion. Find out who is Celebrity Masterchef at 9pm on BBC One. After a decade away, tonight sees the return of a comedy loved by some and hated by others. In the opening episode of the new series of Mrs Brown's Boys, Agnes is struggling to sleep and is feeling under the weather. Will the family show her some love? Find out at 9.30pm on BBC One. Although not audio described, you might enjoy listening to the songs featured in the following two programmes on BBC Four. Adele at the BBC at 9.45pm showcases songs from her album 25. This is followed at 10.50pm by Michael Bublé, Radio 2 in concert. Michael and his big band perform classical standards and originals at the BBC Radio Theatre. 
The late night film is the Oscar-winning drama *The Queen*, starring Helen Mirren and Michael Sheen. Following the death of Princess Diana in 1997, the royal family struggles to acknowledge the nation's display of collective grief. The Queen is on ITV One at 11:25 p.m. TNF Soundings. 